The following is a message by Dr. Dirk Bergsma from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. The word of the Lord for this morning, the word from the word for the week, is Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read verses 13 through 15, uh, excuse me, 18. This is God's word. Let us listen with attentiveness and respond with obedience. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Let us pray. Now, Lord, we pray that the words we speak and the thoughts upon which we reflect may be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Westminster family of faith and love and life. In the day of Jesus' ministry on earth, people were not at all agreed as to who he was. John chapter 10 verse 19 says that there was a division among them concerning him. People were disagreed. They argued about it at home or in the marketplace or in the synagogues. They couldn't decide who this man from Galilee was. And this disagreement that divided people in Jesus' day has carried right down to the present day. People today are not at all agreed as to who Jesus is. Now this wouldn't be a serious division at all if the division, if the difference of opinion was between those who don't claim to be followers of Christ and those who claim to be followers of Christ. If it was a matter of the unbelieving world with one opinion about Jesus and people whose names are on the rolls in church and preachers in pulpits and professors in seminaries had a different opinion, that wouldn't bother us at all. The tragedy is that in the church, among people who name the name Jesus, there's no agreement as to who he was. This came to, uh, home to me 
in a very uh, memorable way when I was a student at the University of Chicago mm, before most of you were born. One of the Christian organizations, I forget which one it was, Campus Crusade, InterVarsity, I forget, invited two major theologians in the world at the time, Protestant theologians, to debate what was the real essential core of the Christian faith. There are 34 colleges and universities in the greater Chicago area. And the word was spread among them, if you want to hear a debate between two prominent theologians who want to address the issue, what is the basic essential of the Christian religion, come. 2,000 students came to hear Francis Schaeffer of Labrie at the time and Bishop Pike, Bishop of the Archdiocese, the Episcopal Church, San Francisco, California. And there they were, and I was there. And they all came to the same, and they both came to the same initial conclusion that the essential teaching of the Christian faith related to the person and work of Jesus. But once they got to that point, the division became very broad. Because for one, Jesus was simply a great teacher, a founder of one of the major world religions of the world. And Bishop Pike testified that he was a Christian because Jesus' ethical standings, his moral ideals, and the way he presented a God of love was superior to any other founder of any other religion in the world. But, like all the other founders of all the other religions, he's dead and buried in some forgotten tomb in Palestine. But his teachings live on. Francis Schaeffer made a, a dramatic contrary position. For he said Jesus was the son of God who came to save a lost world. Who was buried and rose again. Who ascended to glory and is at the right hand of the heavenly majesty. The contrast couldn't have been more extreme. You see, if Jesus was simply the founder of a religion called Christianity and is now dead and buried, then the question Jesus addressed to the disciples and we're confronted with this morning was the wrong question. (laughs) Then Jesus should have said, what do you think of my teaching? What do people think of of my Sermon on the Mount? But since our Lord Jesus is the eternal Son of God, in whose hands are the issues of life, then who he is is of supreme importance. As a matter of makes the difference between life and death, heaven or hell, eternal happiness or eternal misery. Who is Jesus? I want you to notice... Two points, all right? Differing opinions 
and the revealed answer. Who is Jesus? There were different opinions. This, the disciples' response to Jesus' question must have sent them thinking about some of the best things that they could remember that people said about Jesus. I say that because the disciples tactfully and kindly omitted some things that were being said about Jesus. They didn't mention, for instance, what the Pharisees thought. Who is Jesus? A demon-possessed fraud. That was the answer of the Pharisees. Who is Jesus? Someone born out of wedlock. Because remember, when Jesus said that the Father had sent him, the Pharisees said, where is your father? And the sarcastic implication was that he didn't know. On another occasion, they said that he was a Samaritan and had a devil. Well, a Samaritan is a half-breed Jew, you know. So this unknown father, to which Jesus wouldn't admit, in the Pharisees' opinion, wasn't even part of the covenant community. Well, we recoil at that kind of blasphemy. So by contrast, the opinions the disciples did give seem like compliments, don't they? And that's why I say, when Jesus, when Jesus was compared to John the Baptist and Elijah and Jeremiah, uh, these were opinions held by people who liked Jesus. These were intended as compliments. After all, wouldn't you like to be compared with John the Baptist? He was a great evangelist of his day, wasn't he? He attracted the crowds. And the very first words mentioned in his very first message, Matthew chapter 3, were these. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A short time later, less than a few years at most, Jesus began his public ministry. And his first words are described, are recorded in Matthew chapter 4. And they are these. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So people started elbowing each other and said to say, hey, we've got another John the Baptist among us. Or Elijah. Elijah was that courageous prophet who stood up to Ahab and his wicked king Jezebel and condemned their leading a nation in error and falsehood. And 800 and some years later came Jesus and he stood up to the apostate leadership of his day and even called Herod an old fox. And they said, yeah, just like Elijah. And Elijah, remember, was befriended by the widow of Zarephath. But her own child, became ill and died. And she felt grief. But, a, but Elijah stretched his body over this child and prayed that God would restore his life. And God answered his prayer. And Elijah brought this revived child to the once sad mother and now joyful mother, 
And 800 and some years later, Jesus saw a funeral procession going by with a little child on the bier. And in compassion, he walked up to the child, restored the child's life, and brought that child to the widow of Nan. And people said, wow, just like Elijah. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, and he had something worth weeping over. He wept over apostate Jerusalem, who refused to heed the law and the prophets. And Jeremiah, with tears in his eyes, predicted that the Chaldean army would come and destroy that city and carry captive the able-bodied, and they did. And 600 years later, Jesus wept over the restored Jerusalem and said, O Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, stones those who come among you. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Therefore your house is left to you desolate. And about 40 years later, the Roman army came and leveled Jerusalem of Jesus' day. So it's no wonder that people compared Jesus to some of these great prophets before him. But I would like to suggest that even though they intended these comparisons as compliments, yet they fall so far short of who Jesus is. As a matter of fact, comparing Jesus to any human being, the greatest of the prophets, reduces to the level of insult. Who is Jesus? Well, here's the inspired answer. I wonder if you noticed when we read this scripture, Jesus' response to Peter. Peter declared that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, to which Jesus responds, It was not human wisdom that revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. You see, human wisdom can say very nice things about Jesus, but to confess with sincerity that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, requires divine knowledge. And who is Jesus? Well, human words really fall short in our effort to describe our desire to know Jesus and to identify him. So let's let the Bible answer this question for us because that is divine wisdom. That is divine revelation. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and we beheld his glory, says John, the glory of the only begotten Son of the highest. That's the Bible's testimony about Jesus, and we're not going to say anything less. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays, Glorify thou me 
with the glory which I had with thee before the world began. The pre-existent Christ. That's the Bible's testimony about Jesus. And we're not going to preach anything less than that. The writer of the book of Hebrews begins his epistle with these words. God, who in times past spoke, spoke unto us by the prophets, I think he's setting us up there, the writer is, to a comparison between the prophets and one greater than the prophets. God, who in times past spoke unto us by the prophets, has in these latter days spoken unto us by a son, whom he has declared heir of all things who, after he had provided purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's the Bible's testimony about our Jesus. And we're not going to teach anything less. Who is Jesus? He's the son of the highest and the friend of the lowest. He's the Lord of glory and the compassionate Savior. At the Father's right hand, he hears the unending praises of the angels. But those same ears are always tuned to hear the faintest call for mercy and forgiveness and salvation. Elijah was great. But a greater than Elijah is our Jesus. Jonah called a a city of 600,000 people to repentance. But a greater than Jonah is our Jesus. His is a name above every name. And whether that name is shouted from the pulpit or whispered in the ear of the dying, There is no other name that can bring peace to the human heart. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousands to my soul. He's the worthy lamb of the book of Revelation. Unto whom be glory and honor and might and majesty forever. And one day, pray that it may be soon. One day, the heavens above us are going to break open. And the sight of his glory will make the mountains shake. And then, and then, and then. Every knee will bow, willingly or unwillingly. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. Go in peace and may the Lord go with you.
Copyright 2009, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.